Hi, John. How do you do today? Hi, Dan. How are you to do? To do? I'm doing pretty good. You sound a little better <clears throat> this time. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Phew. Yeah, I was worried there. For well, me. the internet is, <clears throat> it's totally the way of the future. Yeah. Yeah, way of the future. Way of the future. Uh, the internet is uh, is great. It doesn't have any problems. And all the computers that are connected to it also do not have any problems. Right. And all the companies that are providing this service to us also perform flawlessly and do not have any problems. Right. So, in that sense, I'm ready to stake our entire future as a civilization on it. Okay. All right. Well, just I'll, plant- go, I'll go along with that. Yeah, plant the flag. It's the internet. Here it is. <laughs> So what's new with you? Hmm. Well, let's see. I, um, I've just, uh, I've been reading about Pomerania. I'm wearing a tie and a, and a shirt with a contrasting collar today. Like a white collar and a blue mm-hmm. shirt or a pastel colored. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I went through a phase there where I really liked those kind of lawyer shirts. Yeah. Banker or lawyer yeah. shirts. Yeah. And you put one on and it just, it, connotes like asshole right out of the gate you've got a shirt with a contrasting collar and you just it's just that extra you it's it's most people don't even recognize what it is that they don't like about you <laughs> it's a warning sign when you first walk into a place they're like oh this guy they're not sure why but but they feel something like they feel a bad feeling and it's because you're you're wearing a lawyer shirt yeah uh, and so I was like, yes, that is a thing. That's a feeling I want to, to conjure in people. You're right. So I've got like a half a dozen of them. And then, you know, I don't wear them that often. But today was a day that I felt like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a lawyer shirt guy today. I feel like you're, what is your default? If you were able to pick anything to wear at all, would your default be what we might have called like a, a sort of a grunge or lumberjack style, because I think people, when they imagine, when someone says to them, you know, like if, if I, if I just walked up to you on the street and said the word dog, you might think of a Doberman, you might think of a St. Bernard, you might think of a Pomeranian, mm. but everyone has a different thing. When I walk up to people and say, John Roderick, which I do a lot, <laughs> I think they imagine you in you're probably wearing a t-shirt with like a gas station logo on it from the seventies, probably like flannel. You've got the cool boots that we were talking about in, in Portland, mm-hmm. pair of dark jeans. Maybe the jeans are ripped, but they're ripped because you ripped them doing something on your property. Not you didn't buy them that way. And really cool glasses. Your hair's kind of messy, maybe mm-hmm. long. I like this guy. He sounds sexy. Maybe you've got the tooth. Maybe you're missing the tooth. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, like, but I think that the, the general consensus, unlike going on saying the word dog to someone on the street, if you say John Roderick to someone, they've got the same idea going. <laughs> but then in, in photos of you, every time I've seen you in person, which is only a couple times, you had this, what I'm kind of describing going, but then I see you, you in photos, and in photos, you're almost always in a very nice shirt, a button front shirt, a tie on, a, a sport jacket, sometimes a suit. And I, I think this is, this, you're playing against type in some ways by doing that. Mm-hmm. Care to comment? Um, 
I think that if I if I woke up in the morning and and said to myself or heard th- you know through my shortwave radio <laughs> like <laughs> get dressed you don't know you're you can't be sure when you're going to come home again right right like you might not spend the night in in this bed tonight or at, at any future night depending on what happens I would dress as you first described. I think I would get up. I would put on some kind of flannel shirt. Maybe not a plaid flannel. Maybe a solid colored flannel shirt. Oh, jeez. Um, or you know, like a uh, like a like a moleskin shirt, oh. something like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, a pair of jeans and a boots and a and a and a strong belt, and then a um, some version of a bush jacket. Right. And a little toque, and I would go out the door ready to ready to never come home again, ready to see my city burn and um, <laughs> and to live to live rough until I can reestablish civilization somewhere. yeah, yeah, but if I'm waking up and I was like, oh, let's see i've got a I've got a lunch meeting with somebody about some city of Seattle music commission business, and then <laughs> I'm having a late afternoon coffee with someone who wants to talk about uh, their video production company and they want some advice. Mm-hmm. And then I'm having an early dinner with some, you know, high mucky mucks. And then uh, and I'm going to an event later. I think in a case like that, I would be inclined to to do this, what you're describing, which is kind of a, it's not ironic <laughs> nice dressing right but it is a it is a coded dressing up which is to say like i dress uh, uh you know i put on a tie i i think about the um i think about putting together an outfit which is a uniform of a different class of person so I'm masquerading somewhat, but doing it with a with a spirit of fun, right? Which a lot of people don't associate with dressing up. They don't think of it as fun. They think right. of it as oh, I've got a oh, wear a tie, blah. But it's like no, ties are fun. Ties are, you know, men don't have a chance to wear fun fabrics very often. In our you know a prison of denim and and cotton. So here's a, you know, here's a chance to wear some, wear a, like a, a little flourish of silk. Right. And, uh, put it all together in a little, you know, pocket square with some, with a little dash. And then you arrive places and, and, uh, you have, you're inhabiting this costume, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, costume within a long tradition of like how men costume themselves um, that we've that people of my class have almost completely abandoned. Like nobody in the music or tech worlds that I kind of overlap, none of them feel or very, very, very few of them feel like that dress that dress up game is fun, you know. 
they feel like they have been liberated from it and they can wear their, <clears throat> you know, their uh, anime t-shirt and their, their Kirkland brand jeans. Mm-hmm. And, and they are the ones who are truly free. Uh, but, and I, you know, and there is this, there is this movement, I guess you would call it among young men primarily to buy American made things and to dress up in a way that sort of, I don't, you know, I kind of, I, I look at it from across the, from across the river. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm on my side of the river and I've got a, I've got a fire going and there's an old mill building there. And then I look across the river and there are all these guys with sort of what I would call Vermacht haircuts. Vermacht. You know, like they're, they're wearing haircuts that look like, I mean, at any, at any time prior to this, since the 1940s, I think we would have called them Nazi haircuts. Oh, wow. Completely short cut on the sides all the way up to the top. And then there's a little, you know, kind of top tuft. Right. I see those a lot here in Austin, a whole lot. Oh, they're everywhere. And if, if you think about it from, from where we stand now, since 1945, there's been no time where that was, where, where any like subculture adopted that haircut with the possible exception of like Nazi punks in the seventies and early eighties. Like it's a very, it used to be a haircut that communicated a very definite message which was that you were severely conservative and mad yeah, and anti-Semitic almost, you know, right, like right, right. just as a guarantee in the hair. Well, it's it was just, all it's so, it's so weird for me because it like uh, people do that. And I don't think, I mean, it's fine to reinvent something. It's fine to, to change what it is. And by the hipsters wearing that kind of a uh, haircut, they're removing the meaning that's right. and the association and maybe that's the only way that we can uh we can possibly <laughs> redefine what the haircut means right move on that's right move on move on but at the same time uh like if if you went up to them and said did you know that the hairstyle that you have that you think has is new and has never been done before <laughs> actually was done before and it was done by some of the most despicable people <laughs> ever to have lived on this planet what do you think of that and they'd say what are you talking about if they were even open-minded enough which it might be and then you'd you'd show them and they would see and they would say well yeah but i mean like it doesn't mean that to us dude like right. that's not what this is about anymore like it means something else but i think very few of them would come away from it saying Wow, I better shave off the rest of my hair right now so that so that it can grow out into an, a style that's not offensive to, you know, millions of descendants of the nation yeah. of Israel or whatever. Yeah. But like I don't I don't when I see somebody with that haircut, I that's simply That's not your first No, either. Right. No, like it doesn't occur to me that like oh you you must be like a neo-nazi or a white supremacist or something like that that doesn't occur to me what occurs to me is you just have really bad taste well as tom york said your hitler hair cut is making me feel ill <laughs> um the 
I don't think any, I, 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 I know for a fact, there's not any of that connotation. You know, it's a, it's a, like when Peaky Blinders came on TV, there was a kind of, I think a little bit of a revisionism in the way the Peaky Blinders were styled. You know, it's one of those things where, where when you, when you watch a movie from the 1960s and everyone in the film is kind of, is kind of styled as a hippie and you, and you think like, this isn't really historically true. Like, yes, there were some people who dressed a certain way at that time, but you didn't just roll into, you know, you didn't roll into a, into a film and everybody in it was dressed like or roll into the world in 1968 and everybody's dressed like Janis Joplin. Right. Like there were people <laughs> dressed in normal clothes. Most people were, or, you know, a version of it. And so you, you get the Peaky Blinders effect where it's like, whoa, everybody in, in 1920 had this high and tight haircut and were wearing these starched collars. And yes, but not everybody had pegged pants and shit kicker boots. Like it was, that, that was a pretty tight style. They were, portraying them. yeah 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 but so this combination of like the hitler haircut but then the the waxed mustache of like the british imperial period <laughs> right right like it's a very boer war mustache um or you know at the at the very latest like raf pilot in 1915 but i think i think much more sort of victorian 1890s like mustache and then again, another element of a of the skinhead culture, like like pegged high water jeans, right, and boots. Now that had a that had a tremendous cultural message that it sent, which was skins. Mm. Like that was skinhead, right, ass kicker. And there, and and I think people forget that there was a lot of tension between racist skins and non-racist skins and the and a lot of the communication between those two groups was done through the colors of their bootlaces and the uh, the uh, you know the adoption of pretty specific elements like right. red red braces on your jeans um whether or not you button the top button of your shirt or not, like all this stuff communicated real important, like stuff that groups of people would get into huge street battles. over. Right. Sure. And so I'm, you know, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking across the river at these young, these young guys and they've got the mustaches and the Hitler haircuts and the (laughs) peg pants, but they're also wearing waistcoats and, like, you know, do they other, have a pocket watch? Like, per, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> perhaps a fob of some kind. Yeah, and, but a pocket square, like almost out of nowhere, and 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 you can tell that all of the elements are of a. They're either of a certain quality, or they're they're aspiring to be of that that quality. And I think, do I have common cause with with these young men? I also wear facial hair right sometimes when i'm cutting my own hair i i fail you cut your own hair um i have cut my own hair for more than for more than 15 years now well see there's cutting your own hair like putting the quarter inch guard on it and just kind of buzzing your hair and then there's cutting it and your hair seems to have a 
a style, an actual style. I style my own hair. Let's right, right, that. right. Like you I have mean, a hair, you're, you have a hairstyle and you are your own hairstylist. Yeah. Once every two years I do, <laughs> I will fail so utterly. Uh, I will do such a, 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 a hatchet job on myself <laughs> that I will lose, I'll lose the plot <clears throat> and I'll, <laughs> I'll be in this situation where I'll go for three or four days where every time I walk in, every time I pass a mirror, I catch a glimpse of my hair and I go, you have done, you have, you have created an abortion and you must seek professional help. And so once every two years, I will go into a barber and sit down and say, here's what I tried. Here's what I was hoping for. And here's what I have done. And the barbers usually say, hmm, yeah, I, you, I get it. I like what you did. It's, but yeah, right. You've got a, here's where your problem area was. Typically, they're very gentle with me. Mm-hmm. They compliment mm-hmm. me on what I've, what I managed. And then they, you know, they repair as best they can. You know, like I have, I have some scars on my head and some bumps and, and some, if you, if I were to shave my head bald, it would look like a, it would like look like a Chicago railroad sh- switching yard <laughs> because I I got in I got all in. all of them self self uh, caused no 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 lots of fights and lots of of um, you know I got into a lot of lot of trouble in my youth and and it produced there is a there's a record of scars on me that is um you know that if you look closely you can see but it but I'm lucky that I didn't lose all my hair because you don't have to see all the, all the um, tracks of my tears up there. But so as I'm cutting my hair, you know, I have to kind of work around some things where I was like, if I get too short here, you're going to see the, you know, you're going <laughs> right. to see the, the, the sort of, right, you're going to see 1995 over here. And this yeah, is you're going to see the Frankenstein way that I was put back together. <laughs> uh, but, but so there are times and right now is one of those times where I have cut my hair in such a fashion that the sides are pretty short. Right. Um, and I hope that it looks just like a, like a normal, like a lawyer haircut, but, but I can't look across this river at these guys with their, um, with their sort of modified Mohicans and, and really cast very, very dark of an aspersion on them right there. Just, I mean, we're not that far apart. If you leaned me up against the same wall, you, you might think like, well, there's the granddaddy of those guys. So I don't know. I, I admire, I admire young men who dress up. I admire anyone who dresses up and tries to inject a little flair into their life through costume now. Because there are so few things we can do. Life is such a drudge, such a gray-colored drudge. If you can throw a little bit of sassafras anywhere, I, I celebrate it. Um, but I do, you know, I do, I do come upon these people in the wild sometimes. Like, I'll, I'll often be dressed <laughs> as a lawyer, and I will encounter an actual lawyer. Or like, do they call you out on it? Like when they see you, 
Are they like, oh, he's not, you know, he's, no? he's, he's got a costume on as opposed to like, he's one of us. I think that they are, I think that they're confused mm-hmm. uh, because it's, because there are all, there's always, there's always an, an element, if not three elements of my costume that's wrong, right? Wrong for how? A, well, wrong for a lawyer. You would not be able to go to a law firm every day in Red Wing. <laughs> unless you were the the main unless you, you were the main guy yeah and the, and the thing is there's an air about me that maybe i am the main guy so that's where the confusion comes well you would have you i can't see you being anywhere where you weren't the main guy so they the the, the 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 junior lawyers run into me on the street and they go i don't know whether it's the pro it's the billionaire problem in seattle right you can't have a dress code in any restaurant in seattle you can't require a jacket and a tie because the richest men in the world live here and they all dress like slobs. So the, the person, the, the person across the table from you who just seems like he, he fell out of the, fell out of an REI catalog maybe is worth $200 million. And so you'd be a fool to run a restaurant where you were like, sorry, you know, jacket required. Cause I don't think any of those people even own blazers. Um, and so that's the, that's a Seattle problem that, and a Northwest problem, I guess. And maybe now it's even a San Francisco problem where you, you, the old signifiers of, of belonging the old signifiers of exclusivity and privilege are uh, all they're all screwed up now and the only people who are wearing ties are the waiters so i try to throw a little <laughs> bit of i try to throw a little bit of sass back into the mix yeah why not but you know you bring up a really good point and that is guys don't we you described it as a prison and i think that's a very apt term if you really think about it. I was thinking about this too. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, the other night that like most guys, even though they think they do, they don't really have a look Mm. that they generally have a uniform. They may or may not know that they're wearing the uniform because they may be the only person they know who does wear the uniform. But they very much, I mean, if, if you were to roll back the years to like when our parents went to work, especially our dads, I think, they had a very much were aware of the fact that they were sort of wearing a uniform and the uniform told what they did to the world the way you're talking now about like a, a banker or a lawyer has like a uniform. They have a, you know, it's a suit and it's a tie and maybe it's a certain kind of tie, maybe it's a certain like back back in those days like you could tell by a man's suit if he was wearing a suit you could tell whether he was worked in education if he was a professor because he would have the patches on the on the elbows of the of the jacket the tweed jacket you know like these were things that certain people would just have and they might they might creep their way into other fashion but like there was a giveaway for it and now i feel like as men we we kind of there's just a basic there's sort of a basic uniform that you have and it's either like jeans and a t-shirt 
or and the t-shirt has some kind of clever you know clever picture on it that's comes from one I, of these uh, threadless I mean, jeans type. jeans and a plaid shirt yeah somewhere in the last 20 years became the standard man's uniform and i think there was a while there where it was jeans and a blue Oxford shirt. Yeah. But then that became the uniform of the actual uniform of Kinko's. <laughs> and so, right. and, and, and when that, when, when Kinko's chose that as their uniform, that was sort of novel at the time. It was like, Oh, interesting. This is the uniform of white collar workers, the blue Oxford cloth shirt right. and khaki pants. And now Kinko's has adopted this as their uniform. Isn't that clever of them? And like how classy mm. almost mm-hmm. their Kinko's is establishing their brand as, you know, you come in here and you're not just dealing with some young kid. You're dealing with a copying professional, <laughs> but then that was successful for Kinko's. Yeah. And then instantly ubiquitous, the, the, the khaki pants and the blue Oxford cloth shirt just spread like a plague and then it was the best buy uniform and it was the anywhere you went where there was there was a customer service component you could be pretty sure that that person was going to be wearing that uniform and right away you got something was lost because a lot of those people were wearing khaki pants blue oxford cloth shirt and then you'd look down at their feet and there'd be some nike high tops you know, some like puffy trainers where it's like, Oh, you are just a kid. Somebody put you in some grown up clothes, but you're still just a kid who's working at a store. And that, and that, uh, turning that outfit into a uniform, like completely you know, like deflated it. It deflated it and the significance of it, which was this was the long time sort of preppy weekend outfit or the preppy uniform of a certain kind of person in it. And it meant something real and, um, and exclusive and privileged and, and, and old school. And then it just became, it became meaningless or it started to mean something else, which was just like, uh, you have no imagination and you're, you're being, you're being dressed by, by someone up the corporate ladder. And so then the introduction of like plaid shirts, Western shirts became the, the way a guy said, you know what? I'm not some guy in some khakis. Like khakis became, yeah, became synonymous with dope. Like dope, not dope fresh, but like dope, like you're a dope. You're a, you're a, a dingle. Yeah, a dummy. That's, and my, so, that's my son would say, dummy. A dummy, yeah. So but no, I mean, son- you're, you're really onto something there. I remember that became like the business, the, there was a business casual uniform, especially if you worked in IT, which also was sort of co-opted by the folks who work at Best Buy, right? For obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But like it, the Best Buy uniform was khaki and probably pleated khaki pants with like a polo oh a polo. short sleeve polo shirt tucked in with a belt and if if you really want to hit hard you get a braided leather belt oh yeah that does hit hard uh but you know like that that became also that there was that typical look that now if someone wore that even without the pleats thank you 
that look is no longer identified like you're saying. It's like that's not a preppy look anymore. Preppy has taken on a completely different term. And I was talking to someone in their 20s about preppy and I, I forget where we were, but they they said, oh, that guy there is so like that is such a preppy look. And I looked at him and he looked like a college frat kid to me wearing like shorts and a, a T-shirt that had like a Marlin on it or something. Yeah, right. And a backwards white baseball hat. Yeah. And I've I'm like, how, hold on. How is that preppy? And yeah. she says, no, that's that's. That's what preppy is. I'm like, uh, does not compute, you know, and, and like preppy is like a blue blazer with, you know, and like Aggie kind of like, let's talk about Annie Hall maybe and, you know, other things that kind of led to the whole preppy movement as it were. But I mean, I went to schools w- that were like when I was really little, uh, you know, like grade school time, there were a few schools I went to that were like preppy schools, you know, and like. I know what preppy is. And she's like, that's not what it is anymore. And it really has changed in a way that why not just come up with a new term for it? Because it doesn't like how is a white base reversed baseball cap preppy? I've had this exact conversation with people. I've been so confused when um, when people point to a kind of Abercrombie and Fitch right. uh, catalog look and say that's preppy. And I just don't know what you're, and, and in a way, in a way that's happened with a lot of terminology, like that isn't preppy or, or maybe it is now, maybe if you go to prep school, that's how you dress. And so, so what has remained constant is that the word preppy is, is referring to the type of person that goes to a contemporary prep school. (laughs) And so maybe that's what it means. (laughs) Describing the person more than the clothing. Yeah. When we were coming up, preppy actually was a, it pointed back to, so we were kids in the eighties and preppy at that point pointed back to the sixties and fifties to an idealized version of what a prep was because there, there was a, there was a, a moment in time late fifties sort of thing where this style coalesced sort of plaid madras uh, blazers and rep ties and penny loafers and, and cardigan sweaters right. tied around your right. neck. So right, right, this. right. Like basically and, Caddyshack, what, what the golfers wore in Caddyshack. Well, and even that was, <laughs> had been like through the, through the, I mean, it's basically what the bad guys in Animal House. Oh, right, dressed. right, right. All the bad guys in Animal House were prep. And all of the good guys in Animal House, a lot of them were prep too. Boone was pretty prep. Uh-huh. Otter was pretty prep. I mean, it, preppy was like what, what it looked like in college in 1962. And so that in the 80s, that's what we were our, that prep style was being informed by that, not by the idea of who was wearing, who was going to prep school now in 85. Although kids that were going to prep school in 85 were also pointing back to the sixties. But so that's, that's, I guess what people mean when they say, Oh, there's that guy, th- that like guy that just looks like a frat asshole. Right. He's so prep. And it's like, Whoa, that's weird. So what is someone in a pink Izod? With a, 
with like green pants that have tennis rackets on them. What is that? Yeah. And I guess they think I don't uh, beats me. I haven't spent that much time dis- debating it, but I also noticed that they, that the, the, what a hipster is has changed so much from when I was a hipster because I was very definitely a hipster in 1997, but that, <laughs> but that doesn't mean, I mean, that doesn't, None of what what I was in 97 when I was a hipster, none of that has translated over into contemporary hipster, whatever a hipster is now, and people just heap hate, hate, hate upon the hipsters. And in 97, there weren't enough hipsters to hate. Like it, it was a, it was a small group of, of people that, that really cared about indie rock and, and now it just seems like a blanket term for people that, I mean, I agree they're, they are hateful. The people now that you point out and say, look at that hipster. I go, yeah, I hate them just as much as you, <laughs> but I wouldn't call them a hipster. That, I, that word had some sacred meaning to me, but only because, because when, when I first heard the term, it was used very admiringly. Really? The first time, yeah, the first time a girl said to me, "Wow, you're really a hipster." I was like, "Thank you," <laughs> and, she, and she said, "You're welcome." Right? Like she, she meant it that way, yeah. And you took it the right way. Yeah, it was like, "Wow, yeah, a hipster." I, you know, like because we didn't, you know, we had come up in an era where it was like, well, there were the hippies and there were the mods and there were the rockers right. and there were all these groups and and what are we like? We're not really the grungers. No. What are we? We don't, you know, what is this culture? We would like to thank our sponsor. It's Casper. They're an online retailer of mattresses, premium mattresses that they sell for a fraction of the price of the mattress you're going to find in your local store. The mattress industry has forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. It doesn't have to be that way. It does not cost that much to make a mattress and Casper mattresses, they're great because they're resilient, they're long lasting, but they're really, really comfortable. I have one and, uh, and they're, they're really great. My kid, uh, tried it and immediately insisted that we throw away his existing mattress and get him a Casper. They're really, really awesome. What they've done is they've combined latex foam with a little bit of memory foam. It makes a very, very comfortable mattress that sleeps cool and they're way, way, way cheaper than a regular mattress. Five hundred bucks for a twin, going up to nine fifty for a king. You compare that to the industry averages, the regular prices out there. It's outstanding price point. Really, really fair. And here's the thing: you're saying, okay, sounds cool. Like I would try a mattress, right? But I'm not just going to order something online. And if I don't know, I like it. I'm now I'm stuck with a nine hundred and fifty dollar mattress. It's not cool. No, you're not stuck with it. You try it, and you can try it for 100 days, 100 days. And if you don't like it, they'll come and take it away. It's amazing. Free delivery, painless returns, risk-free. Try this out. And in fact, if you try it out by going to casper.com slash roadwork, one word, casper.com slash roadwork, and the coupon code there is roadwork, you will save $50 toward any mattress purchase. So again, the coupon code is roadwork, one word, casper.com slash roadwork to support the show. Terms and conditions apply. So thank you very much to Casper for supporting 5x5 and Roadwork.
I mean, pre pre grunge, it was very easy to tell because you were pretty much like you were a metalhead. Mm-hmm. You were into punk rock mm-hmm. or not. And that was, you know, and then if you were a, a nerd or something like, like probably I was, you know, then that was a separate, a separate category. Well, but, and the people that liked country music were, were yeah. like a, like a, a very definite, like other. Yes. <laughs> and even in the early eighties, when rap music was still a thing apart. Yeah was already on the path to being the popular music. Like rap music was, even when it was still pretty unusual for a rap song to, you know, get played at a preppy party, like pre beastie boys, it was still on the path. Like you could tell that this was going to be popular music. You could tell that this was, that this had widespread appeal. And so, like B boys, I remember. I remember. I went through a little tiny phase, and by phase, I mean about a week long, where I thought that it might it might work if, in addition to my usual rotation of like today, I'm dressed like a space cowboy. Tomorrow, <laughs> I'll be dressed like the coach of a basketball team. Uh, in the 1950s and the following day, you know, and I was doing this even in high school, like, and then I'm going to dress like someone from Quadrophenia. And then I'm going to dress like a movie star from the 1930s. And I tried to put into rotation in my various uh, styles, like, and now I'm going to be a B boy from (laughs) Brooklyn in 1979. (laughs) And I went to school. I went to high school in a like B-boy outfit. Uh-huh. And I'm talking about 1984. <laughs> and I had not gotten it right, first of all. Right. Let's be honest. I had not <laughs> achieved it by any means. <laughs> but I had I had approximated it based on what I under what the, based on the information I had, which was, was this in Alaska or Seattle? It was in Alaska. Okay. This was in Alaska. <laughs> But there was a large group of African-American students at my school who uh, also were in Alaska, right? Uh-huh. They were no, they were not a, like a, any more connected to the Bronx <laughs> than I was. Right, right. But it already felt very much like this was their purview, <laughs> did not belong to me. Right. I remember, I remember a girl in my gym class she and I were talking about music. She was a black girl. And I started to, uh, I started to lay down the, um, the first couple of verses of the boogie boys hit. You ain't fresh. Just started to just, just let her know that I like you were, you were in the know. She could speak to you. We were talking about music. We were, and, and she and I had been, we, we were, we were friends and we were within the context of this gym class. We were pretty close friends, uh-huh. <laughs> close enough friends that when we were walking down the hall of the high school and she was coming her way with like six of her girlfriends and I was coming my way with all of my like prep boys, we would acknowledge each other, mm-hmm. which was a big deal in high school. Oh yeah. You know, it you would, were crossing already crossing over into, you know, crossing all the boundaries. 
crossing major, major social lines. Like yeah. we, we would, you know, we would, uh, I don't know if we would reach out and touch each other, but we would definitely make a public acknowledgement of one another such that her friends would go, why were you talking to him? Right. And my friends would be like, what the fuck were you talking to her? <laughs> like, so we were pals and I, so I laid down a little bit of boogie boys for her and she got a, you know, a genuine look of surprise and said, how do you know about that? Right. Because it wasn't even clear to her or, you know, it wasn't clear to anybody how I would have even been exposed to the boogie boys, even though it was like the dawn of MTV people were being exposed to music outside of their normal enclave. So I laid down some boogie boys and, uh, and it was, and I still know all the lyrics to that song, but it it was a moment of like, uh, she felt like that was curious and interesting, but it also was intrusive, you know, like, like, I can tell, I could tell at the time that something about that song, which she had previously loved, was now lost to her. Right, something because, had, well, no, yeah, something it, had been ruined. You make it a very interesting point, and in that okay, so my brother-in-law is a drummer, and I think he started his first band when he was you know thirteen years old, heavily inspired by you know punk music and early green day before they had signed a big album. And I remember when like I had heard of green day and, and could actually kind of sing along to a green day song at this point, he could no longer like green day because they, if, if I knew about them, it's like when NPR covers something like, you know, that it's, it's past its peak. And I feel like that that's almost kind of like what 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 you're saying for her is like the fact that this guy knew about something that it was no longer a secret club if he could find out about it if he could like it. Yeah, and I think I was a junior and she was a sophomore so it it even had the connotation of like this old Oh right, guy, right, right. This old guy likes or this old guy has not only heard of the Boogie Boys but has committed one of their songs to memory. Because it's not like it's not like it was Grandmaster Flash where it was just like that was lost to to the smaller world of aficionados that had gone big. It, there were plenty of people that knew um, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, but the Boogie Boys was still a small they were a small act. They never actually made it to the top of the charts. So I was coming in and like I was I was. I was giving her some Fugazi lyrics or whatever. And she was just like, what is what the world has turned upside down. But for sure, the day, the couple of times I tried to come to school in an early modified B-boy outfit, I was greeted with an almost complete lack of acceptance. Um, the black kids were not into it. And my friends were not into it. And no one in the school was into it. There wasn't a single person that was into it except me. I thought it was pretty fly. I was wrong. (laughs) And there was a, there was a, there was a, there was a bit of it where, you know, like I always loved costuming. And so I was in a costume 
but it wasn't appreciated. You know, like I, I think the black kids thought I was mocking them. The white kids thought I was mocking the black kids. It turned out that it looked like a Halloween costume when in fact it was like an homage, <laughs> a sign of appreciation. Right. And so I realized like, oh, you can, you can dress like a space cowboy because there are, there's no group of space cowboys in your school to feel like you're encroaching upon them. If I were walking down the street and there were a bunch of space cowboys coming the other way and they were like, what the, what are you doing? First of all, that's wrong. That's not what space cowboys look like. But second of all, like, who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I would change that tune. But I, as far as I know, I'm, oh, I've been the only space cowboy in almost every instance where I've, where I've dressed like that because I've never hung out with David Bowie. But I definitely, like, B-Boy was too far. And like preppy lawyer, people just assume that that's my normal that that would that that's the world I would have inhabited if I had gone straight. So you know what I mean. Like you have to find, and like you're saying, sort of flannel shirt, boot, leatherman, um, that outfit. It kind of it. Maybe that is my natural, my most my my most natural. Um, outer outer skin but i'm i'm not sure i resist i resist having one i guess do you think that there are people or maybe groups of people who sort of know you in one skin and other people who know you in a different one and if by accident by some strange twist of fate one group might see you in in the other affectation or vice versa and that they would be shocked about it or do they know you as somebody who one day might be in your your flannel state and the next might be in your dressing the dandy state and you know what i'm saying and they might be the sort of shocked or surprised to to see that and say hey because you know when i i there i had jobs where everybody including me would frequently have to wear a, a suit and tire at the very least a, tying a sport coat to work and that was just that was just work it wasn't uh you know i and i never cared i never minded that but then i had other jobs where if i if i the fact that i had a shirt that had buttons on it i was overdressed and i was considered like it wasn't like i was a a geek or a nerd because i was everybody there was geeks and nerds but i was they just thought i was like why are you trying to be like a business guy Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because in all the pictures of me going back to even my early teen years, like my uniform was usually a pair of like black or blue jeans and a button front shirt with the sleeves kind of rolled up pretty much the same thing I wear now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's, that's just kind of been what I wear. And of course, if you need to be a little more dressed up, you can tuck it in and put on a belt. And if you don't, then you wear sneakers and pretty dressed up there, tucking that shirt. in. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a statement, but uh, it, well, I, you know, you I know what, what you're like, asking? Like, are you, I would people be shocked to say, what, why are you, why are you in like a banker shirt? Like that's weird. Or is it more like John's always, you know, he, you never know what he's going to show up in. The thing is that I, I, 
and that if you if you have a color wheel or I'm not sure do you remember those those like paper wheels that they kind of almost functioned like slide rules they would be little mini computers where you would spin the wheel and the wheel had a little notch in it where an underlying wheel had a bunch of different parameters and you would find the you would spin the wheels and do calculations with those. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What are those called? I know exactly where you could put you put the one number in the one hole and another number in the other, and then the third hole shows you the answer. Right. Yeah. Right. I know it, what, it's like a code a code breaker. Or a something. code breaker. Yeah. We we those used to <laughs> we used to use those a lot, and they would come in cereal boxes even. But I mean, I remember lots and lots of different code wheels, and you and I think pilots. I remember using one as a as a way of calculating distance. Yeah, uh, I mean there like, were legitimate purposes for code wheel. Yeah, little 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 um little computers. But so if you put the if if you think of the code wheel of all the different styles of clothes that I wear, and then you're very right that I that I am friends with a lot of disparate groups of people that do not overlap one another, and that over the course of my life there are. There have been many, many instances where I will be with one group of people that I'm pretty close friends with, and we will encounter another group of people that I'm pretty close friends with, right. and yet the two groups of people will have nothing in common with one another, and will, and I'll be in this very awkward position of like, hey, you guys, here are these guys, and the two groups will just both kind of look at me like, how do you know them? Right. And why are you friends with them? Right? Like I was in a band in 1991 with a guy that had the, the um, sides of his head shaved, but really long hair on top pulled back in a ponytail. <laughs> the, um, you know, the, the, the proto uh, man the pro- bun. Proto, no, 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 not a man bun, but proto metal, like oh. tool. Oh yeah. Tool style, like oh, dyed black okay, hair. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about now. Proto metal or not metal, but like proto uh, death metal or, you know, like he was a, he was very much a dark and not, and very definitely anti grunge, but not punk, but into, into this world of like pre cookie monster metal. Um, and I can only, I can only describe it as like tool land <laughs> headed, headed into that subgenre of what would be the future of of a certain stripe of metal and he and i like loved one another and and were and i was part of his subculture of of weirdo metal people that were also kind of in the like a lot of them were burlesque style and mm-hmm. one of them one of the people that lived in that house was gordon who went on to produce the first Strokes record. Oh, wow. So he played, Gordon played keyboards in Sky Cries Mary, which was a total like hippie tripper sex band. And they, and then Gordon went to New York and all of a sudden the next I hear of him, he's like produced the Strokes record and is as one of the genius producers of the era. You're just like, what the fuck? Gordon used to... (laughs) Gordon was the guy that lived in the bedroom off the kitchen and uh, we used to smoke pot and, uh, and sit around and make four track recording. When did he become a genius producer? Like, you know, weird, 
weird other world. Yeah. And I remember inviting before I knew better, inviting those guys to a party I was having with my down at the university of Washington with my like gang of comparative history of ideas, smarty pants. And they all showed up and, and it wasn't until they walked in the door that I realized, Holy shit. Like Jane's addiction just walked in and everybody else in the room has never had sex. Like my, my comparative history of ideas friends were all virgins for the most part, right? That they, they were, they were too busy reading about the Teutonic orders to have ever considered. (laughs) And they're, you know, and it's, it's a mixed crowd, boys and girls, but the conversation was about, you know, the, the conversation before the the door opened was like about something really esoteric and everybody was laughing through their noses and then the door opens and these and my friends walk in who are like hey roderick what's up and they're wearing feather boas and the guys all have eyeliner on and they stopped cold in their tracks and were like what kind of fucked up party did you invite us to man right and what was great was the two groups of people, but you know, very in short order, all like became super, they, they were all enjoying one another and there was lots of laughs and it was even, it was like a fucking John Hughes movie, right? There was like a preppy girl was making out with a rock dude and it, it all worked out. <laughs> but in answer to your question, I am pretty sure that I was dressed like a space cowboy, which comported with neither group. Like, like as I'm moving through the color wheel of style choices, it's never to blend with, you know, I don't change my clothes because I'm going to the metal dude's house and I need to dress metal. I always am picking the outfit that will be, um, the wrong outfit for, for most occasions, right? Or, or not completely wrong, but like it's always going to, I'm not trying to be one of, I'm always trying to be one apart. So, you know, my, my B-boy homage in high school was not an attempt to join the B-boy crowd. I wasn't saying like, Hey, can I be, you know, and I knew lots of people, chameleons like that. A friend of mine in high school named Corey, decided one day that he was punk and he went all the way. He gave himself a mohawk. He, the jacket, he espoused punk all the way. (laughs) He was punk and he took a lot of flack for being punk and he got yelled at on the street and he just loved it. You know, like I'm punk and you, and it was, and I'd seen guys go punk like that where they had been just a kid before and then they chose to go punk and then they were punk and then the rest of their lives, they're punk. Corey was punk for a couple of years in high school and then went like uh, creation records shoegaze. All of a sudden, the next time I saw him, he was completely shoegazed out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, what happened? You 
you are punk and you are now shoegaze. And he's like, Oh, habit to do, but to do like he didn't acknowledge that he had made a radical and I, in my estimation, completely inappropriate transition <laughs> from Mohawk punk, not just punk. Like I like punk music, but like I am, I'm a punk, like sitting in front of Buckingham palace, getting my picture taken punk. And now I am, shoegaze and still i'm in alaska right so none of these things are it's it's a stretch but shoegaze is even more of a stretch and then the next time i saw him i mean uh, admittedly this is like i haven't seen him in six months type of thing the next time i see him he's a total like ibiza dj I'm like, where are you even getting this information? You've never been anywhere. Where are you finding these subcultures? And how are you, how do you look yourself in the mirror and say like, well, I'm not, I'm not shoegaze anymore. Now I'm an Ibiza DJ. (laughs) And then he was completely hip hop. And then he was completely like, gangster not but not like not compton gangster he was like jersey gangster oh and i'm just thinking whoa but there are plenty of people i think who adopt a persona whole hog and their fashion is a component of their new identity instead of each sort of day being a new opportunity to step into a kind of fashion experiment so in answer to your question no i never i often was in a situation where one group of friends encountered another group of friends and there was a complete lack of comprehension of how i could be friends with both groups but it was never a question of like that i was with my um that i was with my country rock friends dressed all country rock and ran into my metal friends and they were like what you know what I'm saying? No, I totally do. Yeah. Can sponsor is Hover. When you have a great idea, you want to get a domain name for it, don't you? I, I have a little domain name registration problem. And so because of that, I'm very thankful for a Hover because they make it very affordable to register a domain name. They also make it very easy to register a domain name. All you have to do is search for a few keywords and they will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions that are out there. You don't have to sit in there and say, well, okay, the .com is taken. What about .net? Oh, no, that one's taken. What about uh, .org? No, that one's taken. No, .co? No, you just type in the word or phrase you want, and it will do the search and find all of the results for you, including all those uh, crazy new ones like .design and club and pizza and all of those. That It finds them all. It searches them all. Other places... They make you pay extra to upgrade for things that should be included, like who is privacy, which masks your secret registration information and shows like generic information so you don't get spammers pinging you and adding you to their lists. That's not like a feature. They don't think of privacy as a feature at Hover. It's just built in. And they even offer a free valet transfer service. So if you want to move your domains from wherever they are over to Hover, they make that seamless for you. And they've got a brand new feature called Hover Connect. The great thing is you have the freedom to choose what hosting service you want to set up your website with, right? Whether you want to make an online store with Shopify or a beautiful website with uh, Squarespace or anything else you have in mind, all you have to do is click a button 
and they set it all up for you. You don't have to like copy and paste DNS records, none of that nonsense. It's all just built in. And listeners of this show will get 10% off your first purchase. Go to hover.com and the code is all the great shows, all the great shows, one word at hover.com to get 10% off your first purchase. So just remember all the great shows and go check out hover.com. Do you think that now in 2015, and I say that because I know that future generations will be returning to the show. Sure, sure, right. In 2240, right. when future generations are are really digesting the 2000s. <laughs> right. The teens. The teens, and, as they will eventually come to call them. Right. Someone is sitting in the, in the British library mm-hmm. listening to this. And it's and actually they're not listening to it because we have been reconstructed as holograms. Right, they're sitting with us at the. They're sitting with us and <laughs> and just like participating in this conversation. Right, that it's easier to just dress a certain way and not have people around you have certain expectations as to what kind of music you like or what you do for a living or because here in Austin as I think is is probably more typical around the country as a whole now anyway, but it's certainly here in Austin, and it's been this way for many years here, that having, you know, tattoo sleeves doesn't mean that you're not an attorney. It, it doesn't mean that you automatically are like a bartender in a bar on E6 or something, you know, like that you could, you can have the sleeve tattoos and, or dress like a hipster and it's not. And I mentioned tattoos because the tattoo scene is big here and has been big here for a long time. And I think it was one of the sort of pockets in the country where tattoos were more mainstream or more popular or whatever. And I think, you know, you can't really make the same kinds of assumptions. Like if you were, if, if it's, if it's 1987 and you're wearing a Megadeth, baseball style t-shirt you know the it would have the white and then the dark sleeves you know the kind i'm talking about Mm -hmm. if you're wearing that and a pair of black jeans and like the combat boots that you bought at the army surplus store that we probably know a lot about you but today that could just be like a fun throwback thing because it was thursday Mm -hmm. and that you know that actually has nothing to do with your taste or that you are wearing it to be ironic or you know Sure, the Kardashian girl in the Slayer T-shirt. Exactly, exactly. The, the hot topification of American style, right? And well, I, I mean, I think I think I could show up tomorrow with a suit and tie on, and no one would really be thrown by that at all. And the next day, I could be wearing what I'm wearing today, which is you know jeans and a, and a T-shirt. And I think people have the freedom to go back and forth, but yet when you talk about costuming. It seems like anything more than that becomes like a costume. Like if I was the guy who always wore the black suit and the skinny black tie, like, you know, then that's the only way to really make a statement now or to be the guy in like the slash top hat. Like I have to wear a slash top hat all the time. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like that's how I that's how I have a look like my look is I wear a slash top hat all the time. Right. You would look amazing. Uh, not in a slash top hat, 
but you would look amazing in a in a uh, in a reservoir dog suit. Thank if you, you. If you if you just adopted reservoir dogs suit as your style, mm-hmm. you would. I think it would catapult you into a whole other realm because you could pull that off better. I mean, if I if I was wearing a reservoir dog suit, I would look like. Um, I would look like someone in the Blues Brothers 2000. Movie. Oh no. I would no. I would look like John Goodman in the Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> no. Right or or um you know like uh I, Tom, I, I would look like Tom Arnold <laughs> dressed as John Goodman in the Blues Brothers 2000 movie whereas you would look like a very dangerous and very slick character in uh, that black outfit. Well, I'm flattered that you say so and I it probably won't surprise you to find out that I actually have a suit like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it, uh, the flip side of that is that's the really the only uh, look that I think I can pull off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, but you should have four of those suits and just, just do it. But what you're, what you're talking about, what you're asking about is kind of the, um, back in the day, right there, one of the main problems that any subculture thought they faced one of the big problems that subcultures imagined they faced was the poser problem. Because what are you going to do about posers? This is, are, for, do, is that term still in wide use? I mean, does everyone know what that means today? I, they, they must. If yeah. they don't, we will, we'll get there. But like right. there's, and there, at first it was posers with the French E-U-R. spelling. E-U-R. Yeah. And then it became posers, P-O-S-O-R-S, posers. Right. Which is like, here we are, and we're all uh, 14 years old, but we're very punk. We like, the, we like the best punk records, and we are super punk. Right. And then here comes Corey with his green mohawk, <laughs> you know, punky come lately. And our job as the, as the established group of 14-year-old punks is to really hate Corey and ex- exclude him from uh, the scene because he's a poser. He's just wearing the clothes. He doesn't, he's not as punk as us. And it's a very 14 year old mentality that extends, you know, you can continue to maintain that mentality up to about 21. And if, if, if beyond the age of 21, you're still worried about posers, then you are the poser. Mm-hmm. But all of the subcultures were, you know, this guy that you were talking about in the, in the Megadeth black baseball sleeve shirt. He came and just had normal hair. Yeah. Yeah. Then it's plausible that he, that a guy with normal hair could be part of the Megadeth subculture in mm-hmm. the mid eighties, mm-hmm. but he, he would have to have a reason for having normal hair, which is that he has a union job. My parents won't let me grow it long. Well, see, that wouldn't be a good enough reason. Cause you're supposed to rebel against that. Oh, fuck your parents. Right. But if you had a good, if you had a blue collar job that was, you know, if you had to, if you had to keep your hair short because you, because your dad worked on the docks and you worked on the docks, mm-hmm. then okay, right? You could, you'd, the hair would still be kind of unruly, but it could be short. But for the most part, you had to have the metal hair to go with that outfit. And yeah. if you didn't, then you know, and you had to fucking want to smoke pot and you had to have the right wheels. You couldn't just drive up in a 
I mean, you could drive up in a Toyota Tercel, but again, you would have to have a reason. Like your Camaro would have to be up on blocks. You would have to be changing the motor or something. Like you couldn't just roll around in a Tercel. <laughs> right. It would have to be that you were saving money to get the right car or your car was, I mean, if your car was fucked up, that's completely understandable. Now, did you feel that jumping back to like 80s time period, did you feel like you had a, or 90s even, did you feel like you had a connection to a specific group of one kind or another, whether it was like rock and roll or heavy metal or whatever, like, could you, did you self identify as one of those? Because I never did. No, I didn't either. I never did. And I always, in a way, I was a little bit jealous of people who really knew exactly like where they fit in. And oh, so, so was I, you know, cause like I never, I never did. Like on the one hand, like I kind of really wanted to play D and D and on the other hand, you know, I also liked, you know, the dead Kennedys, but I also really liked Led Zeppelin and, mm. you know, like I didn't, I didn't find that I could so easily fit. And plus I was also in like AP English, mm-hmm. you know, so, and, and I had a job, you know, like I worked at, uh, at Publix and I had to wear a tie and a button front shirt and slacks and leather shoes, you know, to Publix and didn't mind it at all. Let me tell you right away though, that the, the deli sandwiches at Publix are among the best in the world. Fantastic. And, uh, and I, I don't understand why other grocery store chains can't figure out how to make sandwiches like Publix does. I totally agree with you. I don't know what it is. It's, they're just amazing. Yeah. But I, I, I was sitting, I, I remember, what was this, mid-90s, and I, I, I had a job where I sat behind a counter and people came into my store. Right? It was, I worked at the newsstand. People came in and they bought their magazines. They got their cigarettes. They, you know, they got their foreign newspapers or whatever. It was a great job for me because it just, I sat there all day and I talked to people about the news, but there was a band at the time called hippie big buckle (laughs) and hippie big buckle was a great name for a band. Just make that up. No, no, no. Hippie big buckle. They were real. And the lead guy (laughs) in hippie. And the thing is hippie big buckle. So this is two, this is 90, 94, let's say. And there was, like hippies were not cool anymore. It, they like hippies were not cool at all, but these, <laughs> this band hippie, big buckle, they had the entire thing, right? Like bell bottom jeans and real vintage Levi's biggie bell, bottom jeans. And not like boot cut. I'm talking about bells big, big bells, but very tight around the hips and kind of silk flowing shirts that they unbuttoned all the way down to the, to the belt and gigantic belt buckles on these, on these, uh, big bell bottom jeans, long, long hair. And they all looked like Robert plant in 1970. And their band was called Hippie Big Buckle. So there was a, this question of like, how much, how much are they, is this whole thing just like a, like a spell where they, they are completely fucking with the whole concept and how much of it is that, they, that this is like completely real. Like, are they punks? <laughs> 
and this is a this is a big fuck you to everybody or are they not punks are they truly hippies and 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 the name hippie big buckle is like they don't see how funny it is that 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 it's like real and there was no way to penetrate hippie big buckle to know which one it was because they were always 100% in character and the lead guy of hippie big buckle would come into Steve's Broadway news where I worked and he'd be like, Hey man, what's up, man? Can I get a pack of uh, camel straights? And I'd be like, yes. Like I just was absolutely enthralled by him and his total and utter commitment to, to what he was doing. He did not go home and take off his hippie big buckle costume and put on flannel PJs. Right. Right. Like his lived PJs. It. lived it. His PJs were just like scarves that he wrapped <laughs> around himself, right? And his girlfriend had had like a like a leather a piece of leather strap around her forehead, keeping her super long blonde straight hair out of her eyes. Like it was amazing, and particularly in 1994, it was amazing because it was so far in advance of the third wave of appropriation of hippiedom the um you know like now if you saw that you you would just be like oh the kids can wear whatever they want because because the 60s are as far away from them as the 20s were from me yeah right yeah. so they, they have no comprehension of what it was they just are picking and choosing from uh from the bins of culture and like, I think I wanted, you know, they could be, they could be incredibly into Drake <laughs> and be wearing those, those out, uh, outfits. Right. But in the er, early nineties, you couldn't like, no. that was all that meant something. And, and, you know, and it was, it's that other thing of like, like they had the body shapes, like you kind of couldn't have worn that outfit if you were pear shaped. Oh yeah. And they they all looked like Robert Plant. It was like they it's like they had to have been born to do it. And I envied them so much not that I could have ever done it, but that that their decisions were all made like when they woke up in the morning they didn't have to wonder what today looks like. Today looks like hippie big buckle, man, just like yesterday looked like hippie big buckle. Yeah. And there's no question of where, you know, if you walk into a party and they're like, and, and it's a, and everybody in there is dressed like Dr. Dre, they are going to look at hippie big buckle and go, Hey, welcome to the party because you guys are fully committed. You know, there's no question. Hippie big buckle would be welcome anywhere. Right. Because they would immediately improve any party they walked into. And so uh, that was a thing that I, that I, that I wished I wished that at, at 16 years old, I had just chosen a subculture. I just decided that I was, you know, like, like but, Jay I mean, did, Farrar, did they make right? a decision or did they sort of find themselves? No one will ever that. know. Yeah. No one will ever know. Yeah. I don't, the members of hippie big buckle are still out there. Presumably they're still <laughs> out in the world and probably listening. And who knows what, what was behind them. But like, like Jay Farrar in 84 put on a pair of uh, engineer boots and some 501s and a flannel shirt 
and he let his sideburns grow long, and then it was done. Now, that was Jay Farrar from, for the rest of time. He will be buried in that outfit, and when you see him, that's what he looks like. That's what Jay Farrar looks like. Jay Farrar's never going to wear a slash top hat, mm-hmm. and he's never going to dress like a B-boy. It's done. And I, I, I envy that in a certain way. But I've taken so much pleasure in, in like, I mean, right now I have on some Red Wings, a, um, a pair of pinstripe pants, pinstripe, gray pinstripe pants, a tie, a brown tie, mm-hmm. which has some sort of, um, it has a repeating pattern of like a uh, Bavarian crest, right? A helmeted, um, like a helmeted mane with a holding a shield. And then my tie bar has a, uh, is like a, it's some piece of Catholic iconography. It has a big red cross on it. And then under it, it has a banner that says graduate. Meaning that this tie bar was given to people who graduated from a seminar seminary or something. Right. And uh, I've never graduated from anything. So I, I have no right to it. And then my lawyer shirt and like nothing about it is, is right really, but it gives me pleasure. And if I was dressed like Jay Farrar, I guess I would, I would also be, I wouldn't be thinking about it. I'd be thinking about other stuff. I'd be thinking about house, you know, I would be thinking about the decline of the Mississippi river or whatever Jay Farrar is thinking about right now. And, uh, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a waste of my mental, my limited like mental capacity to wake up every morning and throw a costume together. And walk out the door and feel like, yes, they're going to, because I'm in an art studio here, right? My studio is in a art complex and everyone else in this building is covered with paint. And so when I meet people in the halls, I mean, they all know me, so they know what I'm doing there. But I'm the only person in the building that isn't like either covered with paint or metal shavings. And so walking out of the house, I have to be prepared for the idea that I'm going to get funny looks everywhere I go today. Not funny looks like, why are you wearing an Indian headdress? But just, I'm never going to quite look like I, I belong anywhere. And that's, I mean, maybe it takes up, maybe it's, maybe it is taking up mental energy that I would otherwise use to have a paranoid episode. Maybe it gives me some place to put that energy so that instead of walking around feeling like the CIA is spying on me, right? I can you can be just spying be like, on them. No, the reason that people are looking at me is I'm wearing a brown tie. <laughs> it's not because it's not because they can read my mind. Our final sponsor today is Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. I just told you a few minutes ago about Hover and how they're all tied in with Squarespace. So once you've registered your domain over there, you can go to Squarespace and, and get it all set up. Sites are going to look amazing, professionally designed, regardless of your skill level. No coding required. Intuitive, 
easy-to-use tools. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site. The, the stuff, the amount of work and the smarts that went into building Squarespace as a platform, something that just does everything. It's, it's tough to imagine how much time and energy they've spent into making it this good. It's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world, starting at only eight bucks a month. Eight bucks a month. So start your free trial today. No credit card required. None of that nonsense. The URL to go to that will get you signed up and also support us here and the work we're doing here on this show is squarespace.com slash roadwork. And then when you're there, offer code roadwork, 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace.com slash roadwork code roadwork for 10% off. Thanks so much to Squarespace for supporting this show. Isn't it strange when you look back at the things that at the time are were considered to just be contemporary style and that like in the 80s in the 80s when I wore you know a, a skinny tie or whatever it was we were wearing back then that to us it was a very novel new thing but no in, in fact skinny ties were a repeat of something that had happened you know 30 years earlier mm-hmm. and that now when people wear skinny ties you know, there there's very little from the 80s that I really liked. There's a few things. I think I like the 70s better in some ways. But, like, the people who are wearing this stuff now think that it, they think it's very, very original. They think that it's n- maybe never been done before. Or they're like I was and, and have no idea and are not even thinking about it on that level and simply think, my job said I needed a tie, so I'm here to buy a tie. And the fact that it's like a braided, woven skinny tie with a squared off bottom like that's that's what's in the store so that's the kind of tie that i'm going to buy and in that sense people are even more sort of slaves to the fashion but it's it's you know as as i was having this conversation with my friend about preppy and we were looking around at the people around us i will say that more often than not and maybe it's just here but more often than not, people do seem to care, of, even though styles have all kind of blended now, that people seem to care more about their appearance in, in a sense of, you know, people seem to, to want to have a look. But at the same time, the ability to have a unique look, and you definitely have a unique look based on, on meeting you and seeing you and also hearing you know, your description today, like you have a, you have a look and the look may change from day to day, but you've got a look. And there's a lot of people who I don't think they have a look. Their look has become much more anonymous and that the uniforms that we used to wear that would tell people a lot about us, that has changed to be just sort of uh, anonymous in a way. Well, I've, I put a lot of thought into this, as you can imagine. Yeah. And during my parents' era, and I think this is true all the way back to the, I mean, I don't know if we can look back beyond the 17th century, let's say, but I think for most of what we call the era of fashion, Uh, Fashion was really on a yearly cycle Mm -hmm. and you could tell 
what was in this year and right. what had been in last year. And the true follower, dedicated followers of fashion were very concerned with last year and this year. And styles changed. Like one of my favorite moments in fashion is the moment right around 1801. Because in even in 1790, people were still wearing tricornered hats, yeah. powdered wigs, <laughs> um, tall hose, buckled shoes. Uh, and that had been the style for a long time, although every year var- varying, right? There was, you know, this year it was uh, this, you know, the waistcoat went up and down, the, the cut of the jacket went side to side. I mean, it was still very much like a, like a three quarter cutaway jacket, just your typical colonial outfit. And then 1801, suddenly powdered wigs were gone. Mm -hmm. Long hair was gone. Sideburns came into effect. The top hat, a variation of the top hat, an early proto top hat was introduced. And all of a sudden everybody looks like, uh, I mean the, 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 the style for men was transformed mm-hmm. and you can still see the, the three quarter jacket, the waistcoat, the, I mean, there's still elements from 1795, but in 1803, it's, really moved on and like Alexander Hamilton was one of the colonial guys who adopted the new look pretty early. Whereas some of the other guys, Jefferson or whatever stayed with the old look. And there was this, there was this transitional period, early colonial America where some guys had long sideburns and were already, were already, getting a sort of master and commander look about them. They were getting ready to fight the war of 1812. Yeah. And then the older generation was still tri-corner hat style, right? And that was such a cool transition that you, you look back and you think, who has written the graduate thesis on that moment and what inspired it? Who was the one chic person who said, you know what? I'm not wearing this powdered wig anymore. I'm cutting my hair and I'm letting my sideburns grow. Like what a strange, what a strange thing to do. Let your sideburns grow long, but it demarcates that, that moment in time. So that when you think of Napoleon, when you think of the, when you think of Wellington, like those guys and their armies are, Dressed very differently, right? A, a lot of the, like, a lot of that, those really tall hats that, that the soldiers in sort of at Waterloo wore, this, they're very tall hats. They're not tri-cornered hats. But that, that's only, you know, that's only a decade later from the waning days of the Revolutionary War. So it's like, the, it's all the same generation of people, but they've adopted a radically new style. So when you think about my mom and dad, 
in the 1950s and 60s, like every year there was sort of a new, the, the lapels of the jackets kind of got a little wider. Maybe the ties got a little <laughs> then move, moving around, right? <laughs> when we think of the Kennedy administration, yeah. there's this vision of like narrow lapels, three button jackets, skinny ties, small collars to the shirts. Right. It's a very sleek look, a chic look. And it, and it feels like stopped in time. But of course they were, they saw themselves as part of this continuum. Like that look started in the late fifties coming out of that mid fifties, wide lapels and rayon shirts and so forth. But what happened, what's happened to us is that, and this is true of like automobile design. It's true of glasses frames. And this is a, thing that drives me crazy glasses frames but somewhere along the way it just we we decided that rather than on a yearly cycle or a three to four year cycle these things were going to be on a 10 to 12 year cycle and so how long has the j crew ludlow suit been the default oh yeah for men several years now where everywhere you go, you're like Ludlow suit, Ludlow suit, Ludlow suit. And it's, and it works. It's a skinny lapel suit with a narrow tie. And, and so guys say like, I'm going to look good in this. That guy looks good in it. Right. And I'll look this, good in it for a few years. Everybody's yeah. And you buy this and Ludlow suit, there it is. And so then all of a sudden everybody's in a, in a Ludlow suit or, or, and that puts pressure on other suit makers suit supply for instance or whoever else and they all are conforming to this like oh i guess it's skinny lapels now but it doesn't change there's no evolution of it it just somebody put out a thing and then it's a static thing and until you arrive at this moment like you're saying where you look around it's like everybody's in a ludlow suit so it has become a uniform there's no there's very little individuality to it you can you can dress it up with a you know like a pocket square is basically all you're allowed that's your only flair and the conformity it's not the conformity of old school fashion where it's like if you're not if you don't have the latest style then you are out yeah it's a different it's a lazier conformity of like oh you just buy some suits and then they just, everybody else has those suits and they just work. And so, so the imagination just kind of drains out of it. And that, that faster cycle of, of style, it allowed for more imagination, I think. Mm -hmm. And my glasses frames thing is just like somewhere in the nineties, we decided that, really small glasses were cool. And I don't think anybody decided that really small glasses were attractive because they're not really small, little square rectangular shaped wire frame or plastic frame glasses. And that became the style in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties, what I called at the time sprockets glasses because they made everybody look like a German architect. And then 
the evolution stopped and those little rectangular, small lens, maybe wide lens, but narrow lens glasses became the absolute default style for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And they look terrible on everybody. Like they're not attractive. They do not flatter anyone's face shape. They are severe and they are bad glasses too because they don't give you very good coverage like you can see over them and under them and you know you, they narrow your field of vision. They're just bad and yet they became ubiquitous. You go into, a, you go into an optometrist and you want a, a pair of glasses and you're just confronted with wall after wall after wall of what looked to me like almost identical looking glasses. And I hate, I hated them from the beginning and rebelled against them. And it was one of the things that pushed, pushed me into collecting glasses and, and having a lot of different pairs of glasses because everywhere I looked, you know, you'd run into somebody, you're like, you're a very attractive person and you're very well put together, but your glasses are, are like awful, Mm -hmm. just awful. And I and I, I I still don't see that changing so much. I mean, there are a lot more people wearing interesting glasses now, but still the default seems to be this this style of of like little rectangles that makes me just want to I just want to take them very gently off of people's faces and crush them under my heel <laughs> and and give them some round <laughs> rounder glasses some bigger rounder some aviator glasses or some some you know some glasses with a little bit of humanity 